Hey, deserving listeners. I thought today I would talk about how to approach clients who lie to you and clients who don't show to their appointments. Clients who are chronically not showing, clients who uh, don't show for emergency reasons, this kind of thing. I thought I would lay out a a several point uh, how-to guide on how to approach clients like that. Also, uh, as a related, somewhat related, possibly not related topic regarding how to approach clients who are lying to you. Thought I would go, go into that as well. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast, so if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Patrons get access to all premium episodes on their phones and or on the Patreon page. When you come out, patron will tell you how to get access to the premium feed on your phone. And also remember that 20% of your giving goes toward various charities that we support, including the Trevor Project and other worthy charities. All right. So one supervisee was asking me recently about a no-show client. I uh, just, just to give some context, I, I give a worksheet to my supervisees to fill out, and often I don't get to all their questions, and I think I didn't actually get to this question, but the supervisee, he was asking about how to deal with clients that don't show up for appointments. Well, it's, it's complicated, but let me give the advice I normally give. First off, it's very normal to be frustrated. It's your, you know, you scheduled all your day, you come into work on time, and you're ready to go, and, you know, the appointment's at 10 a.m., and it's 10.05, and the client isn't there, and you're waiting, and you're, you know, you've, you've, you're, 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 you've got your therapy hat on, you're sitting in your chair, you're ready for your client, and you're ready to go, and 10.10, and 10.15, and you're twiddling your thumbs, and then suddenly you think, oh, I don't think the client is coming. So it, it's frustrating on a number of uh, levels. One is is that it's your time, and you're wasting your time to some extent. But also, it can feel like a rejection. It can feel like your client doesn't consider you to be worth their time, or even worth contacting you to let you know that they're not showing up. And so it can make one feel inadequate, and so it's normal to have a number of negative feelings. And one thing I'll point out is that it's much more prevalent to have no-shows at agencies when you're at your a- internship, or particularly an internship, really. But even as a staff therapist at an agency, it's much more common to have no-shows. When I've worked at agencies in the past, the no-show rate was much higher than it is in private practice. In private practice, no-shows are very, very rare. I would say in private practice, 1% of clients, or 1% of sessions, maybe even less, don't show for an appointment. There are occasional people will be late, but in private practice, you're, you're generally dealing with people who are working, they're middle to upper class, they, they have the means to get the time off and to organize themselves, and it's just much much more routine for them to 
to reach out if they need to cancel or to plan their life accordingly. Whereas when you're dealing at, with agencies, often these are Medicaid low-income folks, and they're dealing with a lot of stress. They, they might have three, four children, and they're a single parent, and they don't have much money, and they're working full-time, and they're trying to get all the kids to school and fed, and they have multiple doctor's appointments. They don't have the support that they, that they need. And so these, these people tend to have such a life and a lifestyle that makes it, uh, makes no-shows more likely. Also, uh, and perhaps maybe the main factor, is in private practice, generally speaking, people are coming into therapy voluntarily, whereas at agencies, there's a good number of people that are in there involuntarily. <laughs> I mean, there are some people that are court-ordered or the school has ordered it, but uh, short of that, you'll have people that are being sort of pressured, you know, like their kid is acting out in grade school and the teachers are saying, you know, you got to get this kid into therapy because he's giving us all sorts of grief at, at, at school. So it's not really voluntary therapy. You know, the parent is sort of dragging the kid into therapy. And so really no one wants to be there uh, ultimately. And so in private practice, you get a lot less of that. You certainly get that sometimes. But in, in my private practice, the vast majority of my clients are seeking help uh, and they really want to go to therapy and they really look forward to it. So for you people out there that are agency therapists, just know that <laughs> there's a different sort of therapy. And when I talk with my supervisees who work at agencies, I will say uh, things like, I'll say revolutionary ideas like, um, you know, if a client doesn't want to talk to you, you don't have to talk to them. And the sigh of relief that I'll hear <laughs> from the crowd of agency therapists when I say that, because there's so many clients that come to agencies that do not want to talk to their therapists. They're kicking and screaming, or at the very least, they're just indifferent about the therapy process. And it can be very distressing to be talking to someone and trying to impose therapy on them when they don't want therapy. It's, 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 it can be very professionally dissatisfying to do that. Whereas in private practice, that almost never happens. It's, and, and if it does happen in my practice, I talk with them very directly about whether or not they should even be in therapy. But at agencies, since they are trying to essentially stay afloat and they need every client they can, so they they can charge the insurance as much as they can, so the, so everyone can keep their jobs. They they have to. Uh, they're incentivized to really hold on to clients that don't necessarily want therapy. And again, they also deal with a certain population that has multiple issues of racism and sexism and and income problems and single parenthood and you know systemic issues and and so. There's, there's a lot more that comes into play in terms of uh, making it so that a client isn't champing at the bit to, to really get to therapy uh, like it is in, in private practice. So anyway, uh, so just, just understand that there's, there's a difference in no-shows regarding the context. And I'm breaking it just down between agency and private practice, and there's, I'm making a lot of generalizations, plus there are other contexts in which um, no-shows might be uh, discussed. But anyway, moving forward. Uh, the other thing that I recommend people do is be very clear to people regarding what your policy is regarding no-shows. If you have a, a charging policy or a 48-hour policy, then be very clear at the beginning. And you, 
for most for the most part again in private practice people are pretty cool about it but if you find yourself having a lot of no-shows you might want to start telling people in the beginning uh, that you don't appreciate it and that it can make your life a lot worse there's there's a certain uh, group of people in my experience who don't seem to understand the impact that a no-show has on a professional I know people who work in other industries, like in the hair care industry or in spas and this this sort of thing. And in these environments, people tend to no-show much at a, at a much higher rate because they don't respect the practitioners. In my profession, they tend to respect therapists, so they don't show as much. But I, I see in other contexts, people just they just won't show for appointments and. And I think part of that is because they just don't respect that professional. And they tend to respect therapists more just because of cultural uh, notions. And so you have to sometimes just tell people, look, it's very harmful to my life and to my bottom line, to my, to my income, if you don't show. Because that hour I could have been... I, I could have used it to for seeing someone else. I I could have r- run an errand, and so it's very important that you cancel with within you know uh, outside of forty eight hours. For to some extent, I tell I tell clients it, it should be it should be much further out than even forty eight hours. Usually, if someone knows that they're going to be uh, that they're going to no show, they usually know far in advance, and so they really should let you know uh, with an, with enough time. Having said that, I will say that there are plenty of situations where people no-show for very legitimate reasons, like they woke up that morning with a massive flu, and by all means, they should cancel their appointment, and I don't charge them for that, just for the record. Actually, for the record, I should say, I actually don't charge my clients very much for no-shows, because usually it's it's um, there's a good excuse, or it's, I don't know, it's just not that big of a deal to me these days. But but other people have firmer rules about that. Um, so anyway, so you, so you just don't be afraid to be clear with people up front. Or if someone doesn't show the next time you see them, feel free to just say, hey, just to let you know when you didn't show last week, it was uh, an inconvenience to me. And so it'd be really great if you could if you'd call me back. I find that therapists are too nice when it comes to this sort of thing. When I work with uh, novice therapists, they're very sheepish about asserting this. But just know that you're a professional and you deserve to be respected and you deserve your schedule to be respected. And at the very least, you deserve to say something to someone when they're, when they're disrespecting your schedule. So you don't have to be a dick about it, but you know, just be clear. Also, there are text or email reminders that you can set up. The, or even just send. Um, this is something that I don't do because I've been a therapist for so long that uh, I come from a time when it wasn't even guaranteed that people had answering machines. And so, uh, let alone, you know, text and uh, emails. But, um, but there are a lot of novice therapists, young people today that will y- use this sort of thing um, because it helps them. So one, you can either just uh, set up a situation with all your clients and say, so I'm going to text you the day before about your appointment. Is it okay? And you have to get permission because you can't just randomly uh, text your clients because it, it's, it's not a secure form of communication. So you want to make sure that your clients are cool with that. Um, 
But uh, so you can either manually just send reminders over email or text or phone for that matter, but it'd be easier over email or text. Or you can, there's automated systems that you can do that link up with your schedule. I, I have no idea how those things work, but I've heard about them. Um, also, uh, as I was alluding to earlier, be firm about charging. There are a lot of uh, novice therapists that come to me and ask me questions about this. And, and I just say, look, if a client has not sh- uh, didn't show and it's a clear policy in your disclosure statement that you charge, then charge, then charge them. Don't be afraid to do that. Because often the clients who don't show, particularly if they don't have a good reason, the clients who don't show tend to no-show repeatedly. And the clients who show up on time every time tend to do that every time. So it, it helps in the long run to charge them early so that you're not dealing with no-shows chronically over time. Plus, what sometimes it'll do is it'll cause the client to really think about whether or not they should be in therapy, which they should be doing anyway if, if they're ambivalent about it. You know, if you get charged for a no-show, you're going to think, uh, do I really need to be in therapy? And, and so sometimes that'll help, to help them discern whether or not they should even be making an appointment with, with you at all. Now, if you're in private practice, then, and I suppose it's even true at agencies, uh, insurance doesn't pay for no-shows. Uh, insurance only pays for services that are provided, the medically necessary services. And if you don't show, that's not a service. And so this will come out of the client's pocket. And I, I don't know what agencies do about this. I'm, I'm guessing for low-income folks, they don't charge them the full amount, if, if at all. I wonder if they even charge at all at agencies. That's a good question. But in private practice, your clients typically have the means to pay. And so feel free to discharge your, your full fee. If they're, if they're using their medical insurance and you're a contracted provider, like I'm a contracted provider with Primera and uh, Primera pays me something like 120 for a session, but my fee is 140 and uh, it, that's actually kind of low because I just, I don't know, I just feel kind of bad about charging a lot. But if someone is using Primera, Blue Cross, their insurance with me, and they don't show, I can't bill their, I can't send a claim to their insurance. So I have to just charge them and I just charge them my full fee. So they have to pay 140 if they don't show. And, and you'd be surprised how many clients are cool with, with paying that fee. It, for a lot of novice therapists, they'll say, well, isn't that going to insult the person or isn't that going to really make them angry? And I've never had that happen to me. Now, I, I, I rarely have to do that, but I've never had a client get angry at me. I, in fact, usually clients will say, I'm so sorry I didn't show. I, my schedule got weird and, and I forgot about it. And so I'd, and I'd be happy to pay the fee, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're not super you know, enthusiastic about paying the fee, but usually people understand because they understand that they uh, you know, wasted my time. Having said that, like I said earlier, I generally, uh, especially if it's the first one or two times that it happens, I don't charge. Or if it's a client that I've been seeing for five years and they've never no-showed and then one time you know, out of 500 appointments they accidentally no-showed, I don't charge them because I understand that they're that they made a mistake and everyone makes mistakes and it's no big deal. So there's different policies and there's different leeways. And, but if you're the sort of person that really wants to charge every single time, then, then go for it. Um, also uh, just some general advice is have stuff ready to do, particularly if you have a lot of no-shows in your 
week. You know, when you look back at your schedule and you're like, well, looks like about five, 10% of my clients don't show on a given week. Well, have stuff ready to go, you know, have paperwork ready to go. So you're not totally wasting your time or have a quick errand you can run or I don't know, just, just have something ready to, to do so that you don't feel like you're just totally wasting your time. Also, try to predict which clients will no-show and plan accordingly. For instance, if, some, if a particular client tends to no-show, schedule them for your last client so that after 15 minutes, you just walk out the door and you uh, don't have to sit in the office for the entire no-show appointment. Another thing that I'm just remembering right now is be very clear with people on your disclosure statement how late someone can be for you to stay in your office. Uh, that I didn't say that quite well. But in other words, uh, I think I have it in my disclosure statement that says something like, if you're, if you're more than 15 minutes late, the, the, there's a good chance that I just won't be in the office. So, you know, if, if I make a 10, a 10 a.m. appointment, and, or maybe better situation, I make a 5 p.m. appointment and it's 5.15 and I'm, and I have no word from the client. I just lock my door. If it's my last client, I just lock my door and, and move on with my life that day. And say the client shows up at 5.30 and my door's locked and they're, Hey, I'm here for my appointment. Uh, I had, I had five to six planned out, well, it was in my disclosure statement that after 15 minutes, there's a chance that I'm just going to be gone. So that's another thing you you want to put in your disclosure statement. And you don't just put it in your disclosure statement. You actually have to say it verbally to a client so that they understand and, and maybe even remind them as, as time goes on. Um, also, uh, try to reduce no-shows by being more picky uh, with your clients. You want to uh, be more uh, picky regarding clear, um, what they call it, uh, what's the word for it? Clearing them? No. God, what's the word? Screening them. You have to screen your clients. This is something that a lot of people in private practice don't do enough of. I'm guessing agencies, it's not quite a concern because, well, it's just a different sort of context, but in private practice, you really want to screen your clients to make sure that they're a good match for you and that they're that they're, uh, they don't have any issues coming into therapy. Because once you engage with them and once you establish the relationship, it's harder to terminate with someone for smaller reasons. And so one of the things you want to potentially screen for is how dedicated they are to therapy and how likely they are to show. I, I don't know how exactly to screen for that, but if you, I don't know, it's just something to think about. But another issue that I work with, and it's, it's a, something I work with, therapists and my supervisees ongoing and I think about ongoing is you can reduce your no-shows by connecting better with your clients. If you find that you're having a lot of no-shows or a lot of terminations, early terminations, seemingly early terminations, then it's possible. Uh, it's, it's also possible it has nothing to do with this, but it's possible that your clients are not feeling connected to you. The relationship is the most important thing. Does the client believe that you care about them? Does the client feel connected to you? Does the client look forward to therapy? These are important elements in the success and the positive outcomes of therapy. It's very important to pay attention to that and to have all of your efforts uh, going toward uh, building that rapport and building that relationship with that client. And that has to do with 
positive self positive regard for the unconditional positive regard for the client. It has to do with the alliance. It has to do with goal setting. It has to do with strategic self-disclosure. It has to do with repairing any ruptures that might happen. It has to do with managing your counter-transference. It has to do with attending to what they're saying and reflective listening. It has to do with compassion and, and empathy. And so you want to attend to those things. If you find yourself wondering, why are all my clients not showing? I, I have a lot of interns and supervisees who are very stressed out and they're very talented therapists and they're very caring people. But sometimes they can be overwhelmed and they could have eight clients in a row. And by the sixth client, their brain is fried and their heart is fried and they're not able to uh, really listen and, and pay attention to their clients. And so sometimes people, clients will feel just disconnected. And so they will, uh, they will not be as enthusiastic about therapy and therefore be more likely to no-show. Another tip is you can have prepayments. You can have clients pay for sessions in advance. That way, one, they're more likely to show, and two, if they don't show, you can just pull money out of that pool of money to pay for the no-show appointment. Also, another thing is, is you want to terminate with clients who don't show very often. This is something that <clears throat> I will problem-solve with supervisees. They'll tell me, I have this case, you know, every other session or even – you know, 80% of the sessions I schedule with this client, they don't show for or they cancel at the last minute. And I don't know what to do. And I say, well, let's talk about potentially terminating this client and, you know, telling them that professionally speaking, you can't work with them unless they are more consistent with their appointments. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. You have the right to do that. And it's a conversation and you don't want to just you know, send an email and say, I terminate with you. But, you know, it, it's, it's a conversation you have with your clients. Say, look, you know, I, on record, we've made 20 appointments and you have either canceled, late canceled or no-showed to 15 of those appointments. And I, so I'm just questioning whether or not this is the best time for you to be in therapy. And I'm also trying to figure out a way to uh, preserve the integrity of my schedule. And so I just, just wanted to know what you thought about that. So you have a conversation. and Or um, you tell a client that if they no-show one more time or late cancel, then you will terminate them. Uh, and you have the right to do that. And again, you want to be clear with people up front regarding your policies regarding that because you don't want to have a client uh, submit a complaint based on not having been properly informed beforehand. So because termination can, uh, weird terminations can lead to lawsuits. And so you want to be careful about that. Okay. Well, that was a lot about no-shows. Let's read an email. How about that? This I got today from listener Christine from uh, New Zealand. She says, Kia Ora Kirk. Kia Ora. Kia, I'm guessing I'm, uh, butchering the the accent on that. Kia ora. <laughs> I wonder what that means. Oh, uh, she says, Kia ora is a Maori, Maori, Maori greeting for hello, by the way. Oh, well, Kia ora to you as well. She says, I love your podcast. I love the spontaneity, humor, and wonderful nuance that Umberto adds to your dialogue. I, find your, I found your podcast by searching on art therapy, 
an interest I've gained since a friend has started studying it. I did a paper in family therapy last year also. So just chiming in here. Yeah, I have a lot of friends who are art therapists, and I actually use art and therapy quite a bit. Rebecca Bloom, if you know her on the podcast, uh, she's an art therapist and actually used to teach in the art therapy program at Antioch University, Seattle. You should know that if you want to become an art therapist, you can actually become an art therapist at Antioch, where I where I work, and you can be in the couple and family therapy program, which is my program, and you can be an art therapist. So you would you would graduate as a couple and family therapist and as an art therapist, and many people do that. She continues. Nevertheless, my thirst for this field continues. I'm not working. I have minimal income at the present time. And I'm happy to make a $5 one-off provisional donation, but can't afford a monthly deduction until I get a job. So just chiming in here. Yeah, I I get emails from people saying that they can't afford uh, a monthly fee, so to speak, (laughs) to uh, be a patron of the podcast. And I totally get that. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully one day uh, you can, because we want you to be in the fold. I feel bad about it. Uh, frankly, but uh, if I want this podcast to get to the next level and really provide people with what they're asking for, which is daily podcasts, I I need to somehow uh, replace the income that I get from other areas to to do that. And so it's 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 just a, a matter. It's just a practical matter. If if uh, yeah. So I hope you understand that. And if you're not a patron, please become a patron of the podcast. She goes on to say, I just want to say an immense thank you for your humor, conviviality, et cetera, et cetera. Conviviality. That's a great word, convivi. I looked for Psychology of Seattle Facebook page to like, but it did come up in my search. I then searched your name, hence this email. So she sent this email through the Kirk Honda therapist page. I, I have a Facebook page for psychology in Seattle. I have a Facebook page for my practice, which is Kirk, it's, it says Kirk Honda therapist. I also have a Facebook page for the couple and family therapy program. If you want to like that. And incidentally, I started, I don't think I've announced this yet. I started another podcast called the couple and family therapy podcast. And it is for just the, my program at Antioch. And some of you might be interested in that podcast. Some of you, most of you are probably not interested in it because it's, it's very focused on the program, on the faculty and the students and on the student issues. And sometimes at some point, I think I'm just going to have podcasts that are just talking about how to make it through the program, uh, very, uh, the nuts and bolts and very boring stuff to the general public, but you might be interested in it. Um, and sometimes I actually just, use psychology in Seattle podcasts for the couple and family therapy podcast. So some of the podcasts are, are duplicates and, but some of them, most of them are, are unique. Uh, so I don't, I don't recommend it for everyone, but if you're particularly, if you're a couple and family therapist and particularly if you're interested in the program or you're a student of the program or an alum, then it, I'm imagining that it might be interesting to you. Uh, the interviews with students and faculty are fascinating to me. <laughs> and so I don't know if they're fascinating to other people, but I find them to be fascinating. All right, she continues. Oh, and by the way, there is a Psychology in Seattle Facebook page. And if you like it, uh, it's great because we will, I'm trying to post more things. And every Tuesday, we have our Tuesday Tougher Bluff game in which a number of people will participate. And so 
uh, know that if you like our page, I'm guessing that that posts to your uh, feed if I post uh, Tuesday Tougher Bluff. Please participate because it's super fun to do that. You know, you can be a part of the team. All right, moving on. I don't know what kind of following you have in New Zealand. In case you didn't know, you now do. Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. Cheers, Christine. Well, thanks so much, Christine. All right, let's get into another clinical issue. Okay, here's a, another question from a supervisee. She asks, I want to know how to, how to encourage a 17-year-old client to be honest. She tells stories that are often untrue, and it is creating problems in her social and family life. Yeah, this is a common question for family therapists, is you have a, a child, a teenager, who is lying a lot. So the teen smokes pot every day and, and uh, adamantly denies it, even though there are pipes and marijuana found in the room and they seem high sometimes. Or they skip school and they're caught skipping school and they say, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. It wasn't me. Or, you know, just stuff like that. Just uh, lying about, or, uh, going out with your friends when you said you were going to spend the night at someone's house and you're out all night at a party and you lie about it. You know, uh, most people have made, have committed lies like this, but, but some clients do so in such a way that causes a lot of problems for them at at school and with their friends and and with their family. The thing to remember is that as a therapist, it's not your job to make clients tell the truth. It's not your job to even discover the truth. A lot of therapists feel compelled for cultural reasons and for reasons, counter-transference reasons and and being wrapped up in the system reasons because the family will often want you to discover the truth. Therapists often feel as though it is their responsibility to make the client tell the truth or to discover the truth so that the truth can be known. And it's just a normal human impulse, I think, that when someone's lying, you you try to discover, you know, if they're lying and you want to call them out on it. You want them to admit that they're lying. Well, just understand that it's not your responsibility to, to do that. You are a helper. You're a healer. You're a listener. And that has nothing to do with discovering the so-called truth. A lot of clients are lying to us, and that's okay. They can lie. It's a symptom of an issue. It's not, it's not the issue. Often when people are lying, it's because they don't trust you, or they learned that lying is just normal because their families lied a lot, or they had a critical uh, dishonesty uh, done to them, like their, their mom was cheating on their dad and they knew about it for 10 years. And so this traumatic dishonesty caused them to have a, a complex regarding the truth or they're, they've been abused and they're afraid of telling the truth for fear of being abused. And that's a common reason. And there, there are so many reasons, but the, so the task of a therapist is to figure out or hypothesize as to why the person is lying and to heal that, not to try to stop someone from lying. Because again, the reason why people lie is usually, there's usually a logical reason as to why they have a pattern of lying. And just telling someone stop lying doesn't work. That's, that's a, 
that's what the general that's what that's what differentiates us therapists from the general public is when someone does something like lying the general public will shame the person and say the person uh, stop lying this almost never works in my experience because generally speaking people don't want to lie they don't want to be caught lying they want to be honest they want to be pro social they want to develop relationships with people and if something is getting in the way of that it's usually because of some issue of theirs that's understandable some trauma they've been through some difficulty they're going through and if you heal that then the lying just naturally goes away now this is much easier said than done because for some people the lying can be chronic because of a massive attachment injury that they went through at the age of 2 and therefore it'll take 20 years to heal that. But it, 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 the, the main point here is it's not our job to, to make clients be honest. And so when the supervisee asks me, how do I, how do I encourage a 17 year old client to be honest? You, you can't, you, you have to, you have to heal somebody. Having said that, you can certainly be compassionate around the lying and, and just try to problem solve it with, with someone. It's if the client admits, yeah, I lied about that. Well, you know, you can just problem solve that and say like, okay, well, did the lie help you? Uh, did it, did it bite you in the ass? Why did you lie? Uh, let's, let's figure out if your decision-making regarding this was, uh, the way you want to make decisions in the future. So you can certainly work through that with a client, but if they continue to lie, that's, it's not your, it's not your fault and it's not your responsibility to change that. Plus, as I was talking about earlier, if a client doesn't want help around something, then you can't really help them with it. Until a client says, you know what, I, I lie a lot and I want to talk about that. I want to, I want to, let's talk about that in therapy. I want to work on that. Until a client says that, there's not much you can do. So if a client is lying and the parents are saying, make the kid stop lying, and you ask the kid, would you like to talk about lying? The kid says no then there's not a lot you can do. There are some things you can do, but there's not a lot you can do. And, and it, it feels frustrating for therapists, particularly novice therapists, because they believe that everything is their responsibility because they care so much and they also feel the pressure from those around them. And I'm often telling them, look, it, until, the, until the client, until the 17-year-old client says, I want help with my lying, there's very little you can do and you're off the hook. And that's what you should be focusing on is the stage of change, which is whether or not the client wants to change this aspect of themselves. And if they don't want to change it, then, then there's, you know, then don't, don't pressure yourself to change it. So, all right. Well, that was fun. Let's, I think I should do this more often. Read, read some emails, talk about some clinical stuff. Maybe I'll do that more often. Let me know if this is the sort of, session you want to hear uh i session <laughs> uh, episode it, it's it's always interesting to me and i do get feedback uh, at times but you know we do a lot of different kinds of of episodes and i'd be very curious to hear from you uh what sort of episodes you want to hear ongoing it's sort of easy for me to just do these uh, solo episodes, which I just riff on particular clinical things. But I, I'm, I'm always suspicious that it's extremely boring for people. And people say, no, it's not boring, but it just seems very strange to me that you'd be interested in hearing about this stuff because it's, it's just so dry, in my opinion. I mean, it, it's not dry to me, and it's not, I don't know, it's usually not dry for other therapists, but 
I don't know. Let me know what kind of episodes you want to hear. Uh, and patrons know that you have made many requests and I've uh, accommodated many of those requests for topics. And I have many topics in the wings that people have requested and know that if you've made a request as a patron and I haven't gotten to it yet, it's on my list. It is def- I'm definitely going to get to it. Uh, that's a hundred percent. You just, unless I die <laughs> till death do us part patrons. Um, and, uh, so just know that, uh, I'm a very organized person. If you, if you're a patron and you make a request, I make a note of it. It's on a list and I will get to it. All right. Uh, that does it for this episode. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it and know that you are a very deserving listener. <laughs>